Hey, everybody, and welcome to Political Playlist Happy Hour. I'm Michael Kristoff. And I'm Anna Muskie-Goldwyn. And that absence of doom and gloom that you hear is our young boy, Barquette, off gallivanting in Europe. I am kind yeah, of... Yeah, he says it's a work trip, but... <laughs> I'm picturing him riding the Euro rail with a creepy Frenchman, just like like that movie. What? What movie? Yeah, Euro Trip with the uh, oh, like Euro Trip. <laughs> yeah, the guy's like me scusi, me scusi, and he keeps farting. Is... It's, it's Fred Armisen, and I think he's an Italian playing. Yeah, like a, yeah, yeah. Well, he's all, I think he's kind of like a general European. Male. Yeah, is that the um, one where it goes? It's me, Jessica. You know. I I really the only no, scene that's, that's the really one where it's ingrained like, in my mind is the is on the Euro rail. That's the one where it's like um, an um, American girl's name, like your. Oh my god, I'm fucking. Are you that. are you confusing this with Emily in Paris? No 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 no. no. <laughs> okay, Anna, it's time to get to that cocktail in your hand. Uh, what uh, are you drinking there, <laughs> darling? I have a lovely white wine. Okay. I think you need something stronger. I have tequila. I am I'm drinking a fancy tequila right now. I don't know oh, why. What it was kind one of, of those uh Casa Dragones. Oh comes in that blue, fancy blue box. And I happen to have it right on my counter here next to where I set up this whole recording thing. Uh-huh. And is that I was staring at my bar cart and I was like, what am I gonna make? And I always forget that there's tequila in the box because it's just a box. You can't see. Right, it. right, right. So I always think it's like a shoe box. Like, and, and it's like, it, it's the weirdest mental what block. What are my shoes doing up there? Yeah. Who put those up there? Um, so today I'm, I'm diving into the fancy stuff. Do you just have tequila on the rocks? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. With a little orange. Uh, I can't bowl. do that. I no. can't do just straight anything. Well, per our opening of our episode last week, you know, I'm on this sort of uh, getting on a little strict uh, uh, oh. diet routine. Ooh. So part of the uh, part of that is I think is I've heard you say this so many times. <laughs> oh, you know, a broken clock is work. Is what is the thing? What's it saying? The broken clock is broken. Somebody help us! It's broken all the time, except for two times. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, yes. the broken clock is right two times a day. Anna, how are you? Are you okay? Um, are no. you this no is a okay. safe space. Anthony's not here. This is you can we can talk about it. No one's gonna be <laughs> Um, so obviously there is so much going on this week. I feel like this is one of those like starts to the year that is off at like a breakneck sprint pace. I feel like most years kind of we kind of mm-hmm. settle in a little bit. I feel like these last two months with the goings on have been it's like, like a it's like a track race. Yeah, the gun it, went it, off. And it's insane. We're still um, running. So one of the things I thought would be fun to lead off with is something that we've talked about in the past. Um, this little thing called Section Two Thirty. Do you remember what that was? Remind mm-hmm. me. Yeah. So it's this tech law. Or I guess rather a giant shield, which basically it basically shields big tech companies from being liable for what their users post and say and do on their platforms. So this is now sort of 
rocketed to the forefront of the news because there's a Supreme Court case that was just heard this week where the family of this young girl, her name was Nohemi Gonzalez. She was a 23-year-old girl, college student, who was killed in a restaurant in Paris during the terrorist attacks of 2015. And, you know, this is going back a little bit now. Okay, so her family has brought a case, which is now before the Supreme Court, which is saying it's arguing that YouTube is liable, civilly liable for promoting their algorithm was promoting and pushing pro ISIS videos to the attacker of this uh, attack. And and. So they are claiming that this attacker uh, only was radicalized due to the algorithms that YouTube pushed. Therefore, YouTube is civilly liable. So this is kind of crazy. Um, I think there's a couple of interesting things to note about this. First of all, the Justice Department lawyers are largely arguing uh, in favor of the Gonzalez family's case in this matter. Um, all of the nine justices were, um, you know, very much taking a, a, a centerist approach on this matter. I think the Gonzalez family was on one extreme and the uh, representatives for YouTube on the other. I thought it was a funny there was a there was a funny quote that really actually got the courtroom laughing when Justice Kagan oh. said she was like, I hate to break it to you, but. It, I don't think that the nine of us sitting up here are at all experts on the Internet. And, you know, she's basically saying that this isn't the most tech savvy uh, yeah, bench that you've seen. So it, it, it we don't really know what's going to happen with this case. And I think that the likelihood is that um, this Section 230 is going to be upheld. But what I wanted to kind of ask you and and put out there are just sort of the broader implications of this, which are that, you know, if you open up all of these tech companies to civil suits, this was kind of the 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 thrust of most of the justices um, questioning, which is, you know, if you open this up to litigation, this is like an opening up a dam of of flood water. And so this sort of has the power or the potential to radically transform the Internet as we know it. And so I guess my question to you is, you know, what do you think? Do you think that a lot of our, the politicians who we've covered who are sort of so pro tech regulation are going to like, is this going to make them maybe a little more skittish or like change their you know, their tune a little bit about what they're actually for regulating? Well, I think that what, well, first of all, I mean, I think Justice Kagan made a great case for why everyone should follow a political <laughs> playlist. Yeah. Um, because they think that these issues, like, I mean, social media now feels like a thing of the past. So we're talking about AI, no. right? Like, right. it's just that these, these concepts are going to become more and more quickly developing and i think that the more people we have and look i'm not saying there aren't older people who understand these issues very well but i think the digital natives aka millennials 
into Gen Z, um, you know, get just we get it better because we grew up with it. That's my first comment. My second comment is that I I think that what this is showing is like when you're ruling in a court case, you're either ruling for or against. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's hard to do that in this situation because like you're saying, there's so much nuance to the issue, right? Like, right. yes, there is some responsibility with the platform in what the algorithm shows, but also it's an algorithm. It can't be, we can't expect it to, you know, have the same sort of error control of a human all the time. And I think, and I think that to expect that is not realistic, but also like far too limiting on innovation. Um, So what I think will be interesting is like what legislation can do that I think perhaps court rulings cannot. And I think you can see this even in an issue like abortion is legislation can write in nuance. So it makes me wonder, like, you know, you think of on the right, you have someone like Josh Pauly. Who you're you're literally taking all my talking points here, (laughs) AI and Josh Holly. No, no, these are great. Go on, you're doing it. Um, You're doing it. Yeah, but I feel like you look at someone like Josh Holly, who's been sort of like this stalwart against social media, and I would be interested to see, you know, I mean, maybe you have the answer, but like what he has to say about this. Where can he come up with a different version where you still allow a social media company to exist? Because I think that in the version where the Gonzalez family is correct, like you just can't even have YouTube at all. Um, But where there is some sort of, you know, regulation, maybe on the moderation of it, regulation in terms of like, um, yeah, I guess content moderation is the biggest thing and proliferation of, you know, dangerous stuff. But um, yeah, well, here's why mine goes the nuance kind of it. Josh Hawley has been a longtime vocal critic of Section 230. He's called for doing away with it completely. Um, mm. I thought, you know, it's funny. You bring up AI and the justices actually, it was Kagan and, and uh, Kavanaugh who both mentioned uh, AI and how this Section 230 law so predates AI that mm-hmm. they said this Section 230 law is no longer applicable to where the internet it no longer encompasses what the internet now can do right and you know the sort of flip side of that was some of the arguments or the questioning from uh uh clarence thomas who said he was like well look if isn't it doing what it's supposed to and that if you really want cooking shows and learn about cooking you don't want this giving you recommendations on light jazz was his quote you know by the way like (laughs) Literally give me more updated examples of what people are looking for. Exactly. Um, And then I thought what was interesting was Neil Gorsuch was um, pretty vocal in terms of talking about just the sort of commerce and business uh, economics, economic potential ramifications of this in that if all of a sudden you then drastically reshape what how how commerce is done on the internet i.e these big tech companies you potentially run the risk of 
totally rewriting an entire mega industry vis-a-vis, you know, jobs, economy, et cetera. So it's mm-hmm. in, in conclusion, they all seem to come back to exactly what you were saying, Anna, which was this feels like something that is the job of Congress to regulate, you know, we know that to legislate and nuance. Right. Such a good job right. of nuance and uh, finding. Yes. Well, and finding speaking of nuance and shit show, should we move to Congress? <laughs> yeah. What a segue. Um, yeah. Love it. You want to start us off? You can use that segue for anything. Well, <laughs> yeah. Speaking I of speaking a, of dumpster fires, do you how about have, Congress? Do you have an update on our Queen George? Oh man, you know he kept a uh, he kept a low profile this week. I actually uh, do have an update. On do you have an update? Ah, oh, so cue the fanfare. <laughs> he posted. <laughs> so, can you introduce the segment, please? Uh, yes. Welcome to Queen George's Corner, where we talk about all the latest goings on of George Santos, the quasi-disgraced congressman from New York and all-time drag queen, allegedly. Um, okay, so his Instagram account, which like... Okay. He hasn't posted on since December 28th of 22. Ooh, that's uh, he, a couple months ago. His, and I thought he, I don't think he, he didn't have like an official representative Instagram account. Yeah. He has like a Santos for Congress. <laughs> so he posted this screenshot and this is oh, his boy. caption. This is how the New York Assembly Democrat, like Charles Levine, who is, an assembly member, talk about mm-hmm. their constituents. Let me make this very clear. Government works for the people, not the other way around. Sadly, this all seems to be a joke, in capital letters, to the members of the assembly. The screenshot is of an email that is from this assembly member, Charles Levine, that says, is this the pitchfork and torch crowd? AKA talking yeah. about, obviously, the now very long ago charlottesville riot that happened um the far right yeah people so you know we won't spend too much time on this guy because i think he's such a freaking idiot but yeah what i think is so weird about this is he doesn't post since december right obviously not posting because he's he is a joke for him to say that someone else is a joke is is actually hilarious but yeah. also it's like who are you catering to right now is kind of my question right right like, so the pitchforks and torch crowd that people who would be offended by that would be more far republican who i guess now are maybe the only saving grace he might have in terms of like an audience or people who would care but, but it's such a random it's also like i can't even describe like the aesthetics of this of this post it's like a screenshot of an email with like someone we'll put went it, on their let's iPhone. put it in our story yeah. sure someone went on their their iphone and like used the draw tool and just like circled <laughs> this thing and then like crossed out a bunch of other email addresses hey hey and i let's not i love the draw tool okay sure. i use but that quite my only bit. point is like 
this for this guy what like like this is to me is not even a partisan thing it's like for someone like yeah. him that is doing saying so many things that are just so blatantly untrue to like a talk about an assembly member like dude you're a member of congress like yeah the new york assembly like who would okay so your constituents who most of whom probably hate you now like you're trying to rile like a very small faction of your republican constituents maybe about this but it's just so crazy to me because it's like why why is this what he chose to post it's two months later you would think that he would be actually trying to like be on pr damage control in terms of like posting about hey i met with this group today and helped them with xyz hey i cut a ribbon in a park today like anything we saw yeah yeah like so it's that's wild all right well there it is Uh, all right here i'll i'll give you a tweet do you want to uh you want to kick it off with the tweet yeah um okay here we go all right all righty great news for folks in pittsburgh's north side 1.4 million in infrastructure funding to begin righting the wrongs of redlining is coming your way i'm proud to partner with senator bach casey on this investment to help working families and small businesses here in Western Pennsylvania. Mm, Western Pennsylvania. Okay. This is going to be, I feel like it's a Democrat and I feel like it's a new person. Um, and, oh God, if it's Guy Reschenthaler, I'm going to lose my mind. Uh, um, I don't think you're going to my But that's not my guess. Uh, God, I don't, yeah. Hmm, God. Do I just tell you? Yeah. Who could this be? So it isn't your right and your deductions. It is a yeah. Democrat who is a freshman member and who yeah. is summer lead. Yeah, I never and, would have got that, but yeah. But okay, I haven't so memorized we, our new map yet. You know, we're we're getting to know them along with everybody. Yeah, baby steps, so baby steps. Summer Lee um also wanted she's a black woman. She's the first black woman to represent Pennsylvania in Congress. So I thought oh, she was wow. a good person That's to cool. note as we close out Black History Month. And Jeez. she represents the Pittsburgh area, as is sort of evident by this tweet. And she is, I would say, very progressive um in her politics she was an organizer um and but this is specifically obviously dealing with infrastructure money coming from the bipartisan infrastructure package that was passed um nice. under the Biden administration so i Question, some, was she yeah. was she was this a district that was uh, uh all or partially represented by connor lamb no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I I don't think so, but you'll have to. We'll have to. We'll look. We'll, we'll uh, on yeah. One. We'll have to. We'll have to. But go to the... what what is important about this is that yeah. I think there's some. Can I like drop some knowledge here? Some Ooh, fact. love it. So yeah. Give it what to... she references in this is really specific, and I think mm-hmm. very important. Okay. The first thing is she talked about redlining. So redlining mm-hmm. was a practice that was in place. A pretty long time ago where basically it was forcing communities of color into certain areas, often less desirable areas, and then often cutting them off from one another 
right. for infrastructure projects like highways. So what is and most of, and this, these were mostly low income and, and communities of color that that got yeah that's what know. I just said oh I didn't hear that part and I, I make it a but habit yes. of, of generally not listening so listening to every fourth word um, yeah. no but you're you're correct and so part of the infrastructure act that passed there is this program called the Re- reconnecting communities pilot grant which is is a program the first ever program in the federal government that is dedicated to reconnecting communities that were cut off from economic opportunity by infrastructure, which there are these two communities within her district in Pennsylvania where this basically happened, where there was a highway built through the middle of it, and it kind of fucked up everything that was happening in this low-income community, primarily Black residents. What is happening here is there's $1.4 million coming to essentially reconnect these two communities without, you know, taking away this major highway that exists between right. them, but reconnecting them via new infrastructure so that these communities can start to be rebuilt and most importantly, be connected to economic opportunity. Um, so my question for you about all this is, you know, what I found enlightening was within the Infrastructure Act, there are so many of these little programs that we will never know the true extent of or the names of all of them. But do you think that sort of the sum of these new innovative programs, you know, some that are trying to right the wrongs of the past, some that are specifically looking to like update electric vehicle things, stuff like that. Do you think that this is going to drastically change the way that our country looks and feels? as we travel around um, so th- 15 years? This is a, I think this is a great question. And I think that I want to sort of give you a little anecdote that's, that's somewhat mm-hmm. personal to me in that uh, I have a cousin, uh, Larry Holmes, who lives in a hey, suburb Larry. outside Philly. And uh, we hope that he's a listener. He is the township commissioner of Ardmore and Haverford. Uh, and he's the president of the or the chairman of the township, um, which all the sort of there's like 10 township commissioners. And he's now the elected president of that group. Um, he's an attorney by trade by day, <laughs> I should say. And so he was at a town hall with Hillary Clinton when she was running for president. He's a Democrat. And he asked her uh, a question. He said, what would you say to folks? who ask about what federal government can do on the local level. And her answer was, in so many words, exactly what you're kind of saying this infrastructure bill does. And it, it, it's a, it, if people are really curious, you can look up Larry Holmes on Facebook. He has very much posted this clip number of times. Um, that so, but, but I, I say that anecdotally to answer your question, which is, I think that this is the the infrastructure bill. We have no idea how this impacts so many areas of the country, but what we are going to see is how our streets and sidewalks in the towns that we live in got better. And we're then, as a voter, we're then going to ask ourselves, 
well, why did my sidewalks get better? How did my street get less bumpy? And I think that's then where the local politicians and, and the local political apparatus machines come in from the messaging standpoint. And so obviously, no matter who your congressperson is, whether they're a Republican or a Democrat, they're going to claim victory on this, right? And they're going to use it for political gain. Um, and, and that's part of the job. That, that's not, a, I think, a, a, a negative thing necessarily. But I think that people are going to really feel this. And most people are not going to recognize the sum total of all of okay. these parts. They're going to recognize their little piece that is in their little corner, and they're going to say, oh, wow, some government, whether it was local government or federal government, did something that impacted me. And so the question to, to then turn your question back to you, I guess I wonder who is going to message that and leverage that in an effective way to then have political gain or rather use it to then get elected or reelected. You know, I think that then becomes the challenge for local and national politicians because but because I do think that people are really going to see meaningful change. I mean, I don't know how you can spend a trillion and a half dollars and not see something yeah. different. You know what I mean? I think I mean I think that what what will be remains to be seen is how the messaging on this coming from Republicans versus Democrats is going to be kind of like you said, everyone will try to claim victory. Obviously, Republicans, for the most part, won't be tying it to the infrastructure package. Right. But that package did pass on a bipartisan basis, even though it right. was, you know, more Democrat. And well, and Biden like, said in his State of the Union speech, which I thought was so great, he's like, look, I know a lot of you didn't vote for it, but you'll be there at the ribbon cutting and I can't wait to see you. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, That's it's so one. true. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But to just be a little bit like idealistic for a second, I kind of hope that in a decade or because let's be real, like this is going to take a long time for us to actually feel these effects that you're talking about. Right. Um, you know, I hope that there's some messaging genius in a decade and that we aren't in such a divided state where there's a way to message this and say, look, this is what can happen when we come together and maybe don't agree on every point, but decide that something needs to happen. And I think that it's just as much a win for the Republicans that voted for it as it is mm -hmm. for the Democrats and the Biden administration that sort of, you know, kind of ushered it through. Um, because I feel like infrastructure is like a tale as old as time it's not social media it's not economics which most people can't really wrap their head around including myself but like you said the sidewalk outside your house like you'll notice a difference or these communities that are being reconnected they'll notice a difference and i the very idealistic person in me just hopes that when it's time to message this we're in a place where bipartisanship is seen as a good thing uh, incidentally, my sidewalks here in Venice are a disaster. So God, we yeah, yeah, we can come fix those. I live on Santa Clara, and they are a disaster. Just go to Santa Monica, where they have their own local government, and all the sidewalks are nice. 
Well, but the homelessness is out of control. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, That's another anyway. story. Yeah. All right. Okay, we digress. Okay, I'm gonna do. That was for I'm gonna the do, LA locals. Yeah, where <laughs> sometimes we're a niche happy hour. Um. Okay, so I have two tweets that I'm gonna read you. The first, what? and then the second. It's a it's oh. a call and response, as it were. Oh my okay. god, I have to fill in. All right. Yeah. So on President's Day, I'm not surprised that Biden is ditching America for Ukraine. He ditched America's interest since the start of his presidency. They can keep him! Exclamation point. Okay. Any guesses? Any guesses? Wait, can you just read the other one? No, no, no. You have to oh. guess this one first. And then oh I'm going to... Oh, my gonna, God. I mean, and, yeah. Lauren Boebert. Or like, close. I mean, you're close. Um, you're right in the swing zone here. I mean... Gosh. Yeah, think think Florida uh, Pirates. Oh, Matt <laughs> yeah. Gates. Matt Gates. Yes, yeah. exactly. Oh my okay. God, I so, not hold in my laughter. Okay. <laughs> so let's remember Matt Gates for a sec. Okay. Yeah. Moving to the next. It isn't even worth my brain space to respond. These people are fools. They know nothing about national security, and they don't understand that it's in the American people's interest to have a stable, free, and prosperous Europe. Um, it's gonna go as a moderate Democrat. Okay. Um, is it a new person or someone who's been around? It, it's an old standby. An old standby. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Um. Oh. And is this someone that you would have a crush on? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's sort of the. He's always been like a. He's always been like a, you know, a, a side piece. Is he an attractive white male? Is my question. Uh, he, he's a he's a white male veteran. Yeah. A white uh, male it's veteran. Jason, okay. It's Jason Crow. It's Jason Crow. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, so, that makes sense. So this is obviously all in uh, regards to Biden's uh, pretty wild trip to yeah. Ukraine, and you know we had posted on Instagram this week how. Um, you know, this was the first time a a president, a U.S. president, has gone to an active war zone that was not under uh, control or with a U.S. military presence. And so, you know, for anyone, this has obviously been dominating the news, so we won't really talk about that portion of it. But, you know, the, the gist of it is that he flew, you know, it was this undercover trip in the middle of the night. He didn't even fly on Air Force One. He took a small plane. Uh, took then a 10 hour train ride from, you know, Poland yeah. to Kiev, which is very fitting for Joe Biden, I think. Totally. And he loved every he, minute of it. Yeah. And he is walking through the the this plaza in Kiev as air raid sirens are going off, which, by the way, were triggered. This was not like a staged thing. They were triggered because a MiG, a Russian MiG fighter jet took off from Belarus and uh, a MiG fighter jet has the capability of launching a missile from Belarus and striking Kiev in 20 minutes. Well, also should mention that the U.S. called Russia and said, hey, right. we're right. going. Yeah. No one knows, but we're going. Right. Like, please don't yeah, kill yeah. Biden. Basically. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So um, basically yeah. what what the whole I conversation is... <laughs> Yeah, it it's wild. So, you know, the big the big talking point 
that has been a thing among Republicans that has divided Republicans is the U.S. support for Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I think it it is become pretty clear right now that there is very broad bipartisan and bicameral, bicameral meaning both House and Senate uh, support for continuing the aid to Ukraine and the importance of what it means to show this sort of display of fighting for democracy on the world stage. It, it's pretty clear that has broad support. But Matt Gates is among a group of Republicans, and albeit, you know, 20 or less in number that are very actively against giving money to Ukraine, actively against supporting this war. Um, I thought what was interesting to note was following Biden's trip there a day later, there was a handful of uh, GOP lawmakers, including our own Max Miller from a Republican mm. from Ohio who was there with a it was a, about 10 of them led wow. by um, Michael uh, McCall, who's the chairman of the Senate or excuse me, the House, um, uh, the Arms Committee, um, so Armed Services Committee. So what what's so interesting here, and I'm curious what you think of this, you know, the big talking point among some of these Republican dissenters is like, hey. Why isn't Biden in Ohio dealing with this disaster, the train disaster, right? Why is he off in Ukraine? And so this has sort of become, you know, right wing political fodder for some. It, but and yet we're we're also then seeing, you know, these Republican Armed Service Committee members and chairmen actually go a day later and say, no, we're behind this. So. Yeah. With Matt Gates, and another one who's vocally against all this is J.D. Vance, new senator from Ohio, and you know is sort of taking all the bait here. My question to you is why do you think these folks are so willing to die on this hill of like anti-Ukraine aid, which is so clearly a losing issue because, you know, it's so I, broadly but, supported. Yeah, but so so it kind of goes back to the first part of our conversation about infrastructure. Yeah. The aid to Ukraine is a theoretical thing that I think most Americans understand yeah. is very important, not only because we care about other people and do not want Ukrainians to die, mm -hmm. but from if you're if you're heartless and you don't give a shit about that. The thing that you ostensibly do care about is that the world does not fall into an authoritarian dictatorship everywhere with China and Russia essentially running the world. What I think, though, is that that is all theoretical. You have to think yeah. you have to. It's like a it's not a direct connection. It's not the sidewalk outside your home. It's not the train derailment that you see on the news in a town that looks exactly like yours. And I think that where they are putting their bed is that there are enough people specifically who probably already support them, but maybe who ideally or um, sort of like uh, idealistically um, go along with them, but maybe don't vote and they want them to, like, you know, there's a calculation obviously being made 
but that they're talking to people who don't have the time or resources or brain power to think about Ukraine and Russia and global democracy and global trade and the oil crisis. Like, I think that there are a lot of people who just don't have the luxury and it is a luxury and a privilege to think about those things. I think that in the end, that's why we vote. That's why we elect politicians is because we don't have the time to think about global democracy, but we elect people whose job it is to think about global democracy so that they protect us from something bad really happening, which is why I think all in all, this is a losing issue because in the end, most of our politicians are doing the job they need to do, which is make sure that a fucking crazy person doesn't get more power than he already has, aka Putin. Um, But I think that that these are guys that I just don't think really care about the end game. They care about sort of their position in their office and their supporters. And it's not really, and again, like maybe this isn't, it's not, I'm not saying it's wrong. I just think it's how they view it. They're not there to solve the global crisis. Well, they're there to kind of like be a megaphone for one very specific view, which is a very isolationist view that frankly, in my opinion, whether you're conservative or liberal is just not, you can't be isolationist in today's world. Well, and that that's so well said. And I think something we've talked about in the past is this idea of who are the Congress people who just chirp, 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 and then who are the ones who actually do? Yeah. And I think that there's such a stark contrast between somebody like Gates and somebody like Jason Crow. And and that isn't to say Republican Democrat. That's there's plenty of like great people on both sides who are doing legitimate things. But in this case. Uh, Jason Crow followed up that tweet by saying that Russia's crimes against humanity in Ukraine are appalling, and that's why I led the effort to authorize U.S. intelligence communities tools and surveillance to collect evidence and prosecute these war criminals. So it's like, you know, here's somebody who's like actually doing something about it, and, you know, I feel like Matt Gates is just talking about it mm-hmm. and not offering much at all yeah um yeah it's also just a little bit short-sighted of like the argument being oh it's adding more to our debt or it's taking money away from blah 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 it's like well it's more complicated than that like you can't just you don't just take the money that went to ukraine and like put it to make gas more affordable you know it like it doesn't (laughs) just you don't do that it's not like borrowing five dollars or venmoing a hundred you know so so i think that you know again it's like we fire politicians because they need to do the work that we don't have the time to do. And I think that there are some politicians that don't necessarily take up that charge, but instead just focus on one way of thinking, one approach to governing. Um, and I think to your point, the vast majority do not. The vast majority, whether you agree with them or not, are trying to work for the greater good. One thing I want to leave you with here, which I think is something that is noteworthy, you know, we're we're not necessarily in the, you know, presidential commentary business, but um, I, I do think that's something that's very noticeable 
are notable here and noticeable too is the fact that you know Biden's predecessor Trump very actively tried to dismantle NATO and tried to pull us out of NATO and it's very much Biden's full-throated diving back in to NATO and those relationships that I think has made such a difference in this right. whole thing and Biden being there I mean the image of him walking through Kiev Square you know outside this church in the aviators like air raid sirens going off the guy is in phase I mean to me it it was so reminiscent of Reagan and this yeah. is a little bit before we weren't really alive. We were kind of there for the later. <laughs> we weren't really alive. We were, we were there for the later. You were there year. for the later. I but not. yeah, 90s baby. Jesus. Uh, so but it's it's so funny because this to me feels so Reagan when at the time he literally marched up to the border of Russia and said, tear down this wall. Right. And here, Biden is more or less marching up to the border of Russia, albeit in an active war zone now, and saying, this will not stand. And I mm -hmm. feel like the met the profound message that that sends as an American, I feel like, obviously, of course, we have so many problems at home and we have so many things that need our immediate attention and 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 those all need to be serviced. But the broader message that it sends, in my view, is so Reagan-esque of that city on a shining hill message that I feel like so many people connected to and can be proud to be an American because the very fundamentals of upholding democracy and the luxury, you mentioned luxury, the luxury that we have in this country is that we get to debate. Right. We get to disagree with one another. And that to me it just so supersedes the partisan bickering that goes on. And I feel like this week, these images were kind of a pretty sobering reminder of of, of the luxury of democracy.